Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, this is Benjamin Boyce. I hope you're having a pleasant weekend. Today, I spoke with Aaron Kimberly, who I've had on my channel before, an excellent guest. And Aaron Kimberly is a trans man, that is a female-to-male trans man, and has been working in the mental health field for a number of years now, and more recently has been advocating for better, more nuanced, and evidence-based care for trans or trans questioning or trans identifying individuals. Aaron has recently been targeted by a very authoritarian trans advocate or trans activist, Morgane Auger, who has attempted to dox Aaron and get Aaron fired for having a different view about the type and the quality of care that should be available for individuals who are questioning their gender identity. As this particular topic is rather fraught and seems to be controlled by the activists, I believe it is the most important thing for anybody who's an outsider to do is to listen to the most reasonable voices out there. And so I wanted to get Aaron back on here to bring more light to his situation and what he's actually trying to do and what he actually stands for. And hopefully elicit better understanding of these issues from the general population and also perhaps elicit some support for Aaron and his work. Aaron runs gdalliancecanada.com. That's gender dysphoria or gdalliancecanada.com. If you want to learn more about what he's up to and how to support him, do follow the link down in the description. Without further ado, here is Aaron Kimberly. Got some drama going on? A little bit of drama. <laughs> <laughs> is it to be expected in your line of work or activism? I guess it is. <laughs> yeah, if you say the, say the wrong thing, you know, in regards to uh, trans issues, it tends to, tends to erupt pretty quickly. There are... Uh... It's an interesting field of discourse because there are some actors in it or players in it that play pretty hard. They play hardball. And like what you've experienced, you are now uh, getting doxxed and people are going after your livelihood. Well, one person, maybe their followers, maybe they have, maybe they do represent thousands of people. We don't know, but they we act as though they do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So it, eru it you know, it erupted faster and it escalated a lot more quickly than I was expecting. You want to lay out the story and get the word out and what you, what your stance is and what you're sure. facing now and, and what kind of resolution or what you're trying to get out there, uh, despite the backlash or the resistance. Sure. Um, so it, where should I start? Um, it started with a with a Twitter conversation um, about Bill C six, which is our conversion therapy law here in Canada that hasn't hasn't yet been passed. Um, and I've I've been um, working with others to campaign to have that wording changed because we we have concerns about the wording of it. And none of us who are in opposition to the bill 
um, are supporting conversion therapy. You know, we're all in agreement that conversion therapy, as we all normally understand it, is is wrong and, and abusive, right? It, it's, um, I remember as a same-sex attracted person as a teenager, it was still, conversion therapy was still practiced. It was, um, homosexuality was still considered illegal um, at that time when I was a teenager. And um, so conversion therapy at that time was a very real possibility, you know, things like electric shock conversion therapy and, you know, these very um, coercive and abusive types of therapy. That's what we all typically understand is conversion therapy. But these um, bills that are that are being passed um, in various places around the world are they're quite sneaky in how they're wording those bills and um, and people are are kind of blindly behind those bills thinking well yeah of course we want conversion therapy you know these barbaric practices banned and aren't really looking at the specific wording of those bills and the implications of that so. Um, as it applies to um, the treatment of gender dysphoria, and this is where we get into the you know the really deep politics of it, because I consider what I have as gender dysphoria. It's whether we think of that, and I think the medical community is still um, there's not, not yet a consensus about what gender dysphoria is. Um, you know whether it ends up being some kind of neurological condition in some cases or psychological or or whatever um, that. We haven't really landed on that, but it, it, in my mind, it's it is a condition of some kind, and that's what I sought treatment for um, when I med- medically transitioned. Um, and as a as a clinician, we still need to be curious about what is this condition, how do we best treat it, you know, evaluating our outcomes. So that's that's a normal way to talk as a clinician. Um, but activists have have now over the last several years are saying that this the gender dysphoria isn't a condition of any kind that that the way that they say that the only reason it's in the dsm at all is in order for us to to be able to get our medical treatments funded they have to have some kind of diagnostic criteria just in order to get the funding but it's a fake you know that it's a fake diagnosis and and others say well no this is this is just natural diversity um, and which I agree to some extent. I think gender nonconformity is natural diversity. But the experience that I had of really believing that I was a male in some way, that isn't just, you know, to the extent that it caused me distress and I felt like I needed to change my body. It was that, interrupting significantly your uh, productivity in the world or your engagement with the it, world, it with was. other people. Yeah, It was. And, and, and not just... And people will, will rationalize that in different ways, saying, well, well, that's just because of discrimination. But I hadn't really told anybody about those cross-sex feelings as a kid. So I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was experiencing discrimination. I, you know, that was before we, we even called that trans. I mean, I was diagnosed with a gender identity disorder. Um, so the, the language around all of this is, has changed significantly to, to rather than calling it gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder, now we're just saying this is just gender identity and everybody has a gender identity and we get to just identify however, however we'd like and that is protected by law. Now, I do want protections in law. I do want to be able to hold a job or have a bank account or own a home and not be abused and, and discriminated against, sure. Um, 
But this goes so far beyond that in in this idea that everybody has a gender identity and and that this is all just natural diversity. And yet somehow there's this rush to medicalize certain, you know, a certain cohort of us. Um, so that just doesn't add up to me. And And I think if most people, if they really dissect what all of this means, I don't think it adds up to, to many people, but most people just aren't really thinking it thinking it all through. So this conversion therapy bill, because it says that any effort to change someone's gender identity is would be would be illegal. So what would that mean for a butch lesbian, for example, who has cross-sex feelings and wants to be able to manage that better, to feel better about her own body and, and manage her distress? That won't be allowed because what they're doing is they're making it illegal to treat gender dysphoria by anything other than medicalization. Or affirmation. Exactly. Yeah. So even skeptical exploration could be construed as conversion therapy, conversion therapy. Yeah. So just a mere conversation that could result, because it, it, it covers both gender identity, any effort to change gender identity. So it doesn't even mention gender dysphoria. That's that's not in, no longer in the language here in Canada. Um, so any effort to change someone's gender identity or associated behaviors. Now, what that means is is unclear to me. Um, like wanting to drive a truck instead of uh, I don't know, like some sort of stereotypically female car. I can't think of one. Maybe a Volvo. I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, it, it's a little more clear to me when we're talking about gay and lesbian people um, that any effort to reduce same-sex behavior, I think, is what they're getting at. I don't know how that would apply to gender dysphoria and what is gender dysphoria behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, I mean, that does that mean transitioning? Is that protecting our right to transition medically under law? Like I, That's really unclear. So there's just so many question marks about the wording of it. And somebody on Twitter was saying, well, um, anybody that opposes this bill is just a transphobe or homophobic bigot. You know, and don't and, belong and, in decent society. Yeah. And so I, I piped in saying, well, I am a trans man. I lived a you know, large part of my life, like over 30 years as a lesbian, and, and I oppose the bill. And I'm not a right-wing religious bigot. Um, so then he pulled in uh, a very prominent trans activist here in Canada who is apparently, I'm learning, is known all around the world. Um, you know, Morgane Orger, I think your last name is pronounced, um, who has has a reputation um, locally and, and internationally for really um, extreme politics and quite punitive uh, ways of, of um, advocating, I guess, ways of, of making sure that her politics are are in the driver's seat. Mm-hmm. And she's involved in both provincial politics um, with the provincial uh, NDP party, as well as federal politics. And, and I've learned also at, uh, at the level of the UN writing, um, uh, you know, certain trans politics into international law as well. So she was brought into the conversation. And, and at first I thought it was a, a civil enough conversation uh, we definitely aren't on the same page about quite a few things, but it was it was a civil conversation, and then it and then it seemed to end, and I thought that was the end of it. 
Um, but then she messaged me privately um, about a letter that um, GDAC and and Trey Voices and dozens of other people signed uh, to the UN. So the UN has a committee set up to address uh, international policy and law around um, pr- the protections for LGBT people worldwide. Um, and so the letter uh, was written by the Women's Liberation Front and because the UN sought input into their process. Um, and so they sought input from lots of different organizations. And so the Li- Women's Liberation Front wrote a letter saying um, that they would pref- they they don't want a certain gender identity framework being used and written into law at an international level. Um, and the letter went on to describe how that's impacting various communities like um, gay and lesbian people and and women. Um, so we we co-signed that letter along with dozens of others, um, because I mean, as we we talked a little bit last time we spoke about my concerns with queer theory being used to define gender dysphoria, it made my gender dysphoria worse. So I don't want gen- queer theory written into international law, representing those of us with gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have concern, you know, serious concerns about that. And, and that's really all the, all the letter said. So, but Morgan wrote to me saying that um, the Women's Liberation Front is a hate organization and that by signing their letter, that basically made me a hate, and GDAC, a hate orga- organization as well. Um, so it's escalated from there. Um, and she started making, uh, you know, threats through Twitter, um, saying, "Well, are are you in a conflict of interest in your job then? If you're working with LGBT people, are they aware that you're doing harm and advocating for harm to be done to LGBT people? Which is ludicrous. That's not at all what I'm advocating for. And there was nothing in that letter that advocated. It. I mean, Wolf um, is an organization, as far as I know, that has at least some lesbians." Um, and we're advocating on behalf of gay and lesbian people and, and women and people with gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, but her accusation and, and the way she would frame it on social media as is, hey, this individual, and she posted where I work and said, this individual who works here, who works as a mental health clinician serving vulnerable LGBT youth is advocating at the UN level to harm LGBT people. So, of course, when you frame it that way, it's it's firing people up and um you know and she's already resorted to doxing by posting my my employer's contact information online is rallying support behind her under a false premise of of what i've actually been doing and and what i actually believe um now when it was just on twitter i ignored it for the most part but um, she since has taken it off of Twitter and has gone to the media, and the media has contacted my employer, and not just my local employer, but our national office. Hmm. Um, and I don't know exactly what was said, um, but uh, basically targeting my employer for having an employee that is apparently advocating for harm to vulnerable LGBT people. So the media has become uh, a wing of the activists then yeah hmm. that and no, seems and like a conflict con- of interest i know and they haven't contacted me <laughs> really right to, to hear my side of things um yeah. i don't know if if, Mor- if morgan is even telling people that that 
you know, that it's my organization rep is trans men and we, we represent, um, we represent the LGBT community or our organizations. And, you know, I work closely with Scott Nugent with Trey Voices. Mm-hmm. Um, both of our organizations are trans men run. His organization focuses on some of the, some of the uh, dangers and misinformation about medical transition. And, and mine is trying to educate about different kinds of gender dysphoria and how, how we're different and we have different needs. Okay. Um, so, so what does that Sorry, just, go ahead. Just to kind of try to conceptualize this from a certain point of view, your and Scott's organizations are run by uh, female to male. That's uh, right. Trans individuals and probably tailored a lot to that. But I'm sure that you uh, both uh, are open to speaking about the f- male to female experience. But this uh, Morgane Ogier is a male to female with a particular political position that's trying to stop the spread of various information and various tools or insights or perspectives uh, that are relevant to something that is different than what they are uh, or their own experience with gender dysphoria and with transition. So this one individual from this one standpoint is trying to control the entire conversation and stop anybody else from speaking. That's right. And, and that, that isn't new. And so what this is basically turning into, um, unfortunately is, um, an internal trans fight because there are certain people that have taken it upon themselves to speak for the entire community using their very specific agenda and their way of conceptualizing what it means to be trans and screw the rest of us who have a different way of understanding our experience or a different way of living in the world or in a, or a different political leaning. Mm-hmm. Um, or are even harmed by the position uh, that is being forced upon everybody else. Yeah. In the name of protecting people from being harmed. Yeah, and, and any time that any of us, um, and, and this goes, this dates back years, and this is really the primary reason why I left the community years ago, is I was just so sick of that infighting and and how abusive it, it becomes, um, you know, that, that certain people want to control the agenda, and they abuse the rest of the community who who just think differently um, or or want to voice, as you said, to voice some of the harms that are being done by their way of looking at it. And um, so we have quite a few trans guys behind us. Um, Scott and I are, are, are the, you know, the public face of this, but, but we've got quite a few people behind us. You know, we've got Buck Angel behind us. Aaron Terrell is behind us. Um, and we're all on the same page that it's not that we're trying to do harm to anybody, but, but these people that have tried to control the agenda, um, I'm going back to this idea that there are different kinds of gender dysphoria and there are certain people that don't want that known that there are different kinds of gender dysphoria, especially those with, with autogynephilia. And this has been, this has been known within the community by anyone that's been around for a while for a long time, that those with autogynephilia or, or AGP, because that's easier to say, uh, those with AGP, I really respect those like Debbie Hayton that are st- you know st- stepping forward and saying, yes, this is real, I have it. You know, it, it, it's the dishonesty 
that is the problem. That if mm. we're not willing to say, okay, we have these different kinds of gender dysphoria, and we each have different needs. Um, but I think because the AGPs don't want that known about themselves, they want to bury that. And, and so they're branding it all as, well, no, this isn't a condition of any kind. So we're, we're burying the fact that there are actually different kinds of gender dysphoria. And we're going to brand it all as just trans. That this is just one big trans umbrella, and we're all brothers and sisters under this umbrella, and and apparently they think we all have the same needs. And so these certain very, a lot of them are very wealthy, and this is, they use the card of, as trans women, we're the most oppressed. And yet some of these trans women who have AGP, and not all trans women have AGP, but those trans women who are controlling this agenda, some of them are billionaires, right? These are billionaires and millionaires with, you know, high-tech organizations. These aren't fragile trans women who are, you know... um, Prostituting themselves in order to survive. being oppressed. These are very powerful, wealthy people. And they're controlling the agenda according to what they want as as AGP um, individuals. If AGP is thought of as a sexual orientation, it would make sense that that would be written into conversion therapy law if if talk therapy can't change someone's sexual orientation. Yeah. But for those of us that have the homosexual subtype of gender dysphoria, which um, I think if you look at, trace back the, you know, the best evidence for what that is, I think it's best understood as a developmental part, a developmental stage for some gay and lesbian people. And I think that's why the vast majority of kids um, with childhood onset gender dysphoria, uh, the, late, the latest study that came out says 88% um, of those kids resolve that cross-sex identification by the time they reach adulthood because their sexual orientation then kind of wakes up in puberty and that cross-sex identification um, gets integrated into a lesbian or gay identity. Mm-hmm. And only a very small percentage of us, for whatever reason, don't outgrow that, that there are things that can disrupt that developmental process. Most of us with this condition aren't told that. We're not taught that. Because if you bury the fact that we all have these different kinds of gender dysphoria and you say, well, you're just trans, so here, here's your hormones, we're not being given that information to make sense of our experience, to potentially find ways of integrating that into a gay or lesbian identity and, and prevent lifelong medicalization. Mm-hmm. Well, even... Even if medicalization is still on the table, you decide to go that route, you're still yeah. being uh, enriched as an individual to really patiently explore that and, and see different options and actually think through these things rather than just be fast-tracked or be uh, not even allowed to be offered different sorts of information or different sorts of experience from different people uh, just speaking about this openly. Yeah, what people instead are, are be give, being given this this narrative of, well, you just have a gender identity and this is your choice, right? We're not being given information that actually helps us make sense of our experience. So a lot of us, as we get older, this flimsy kind of narrative that, that we're being taught about gender identity, it breaks down at some point because... If you're telling these kids, well, you're you're just trans, you're just trans, you you get to transition and just be the sex of your choice. It breaks down at some point, and and this is something that not many people in the trans community say because there's this veil of secrecy that we're not allowed to say things that go against that narrative. But most of us, at some point, bottom out, 
after transitioning because reality catches up with us in one way or another whether it's our our own bodies that that don't kind of cooperate properly properly it's it's you know um i'm now experiencing health complications as a result of testosterone therapy and you know i had surgical complications and so I've had to think to myself, you know, now that I have high cholesterol and and, and the meds for that are, are damaging my liver, so I'm having to think, well, if I end up having a heart attack at some point, would I have male warning signs or female warning signs? Or, you know, certain medications impact women differently than men. And and so my bio, I have to be, I have to be able to acknowledge my own biology in order to problem solve and think mm-hmm. that through. But if I had just deluded myself that I'm just I'm just a man and in the end, it, just like any other man, then how am I supposed to think that through and and problem solve and and ask those kinds of questions? Not even that, but the studies, the potential studies that could be happening uh, with uh, your 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 generation of uh, trans uh, um, female to male. There, there's got to be a lot of studying to do, and then the development of uh, proper medicine for. Uh, your body uh, can't be developed if the entire medical industry, as a result of all this activism, isn't allowed mm-hmm. to ask these questions and isn't allowed to talk about sex as sex. So yeah. you're you're actively damaging people in the future that uh, by not developing the necessary uh, health tools to help them. Yeah, and and where do you go for help when when you reach that point where where that that certain ideological framework starts to break down where where do people go for support with that because everyone that serves the trans population is is kind of bought into this this narrative and and so someone like myself that's asking these really hard questions about my biology and the fact that I am biologically female and that that does have certain health implications down the road you know that so whether it's it's our own bodies not cooperating or or people out there that don't buy into this ideology and and not everyone is going to and more and more people are pushing back on that um reality confronts us at some point and it and it's not that i'm now going to detransition because transitioning did help me in some ways but i'm still confronted with these questions and as did detransitioners who who confronted this maybe earlier in the process than i did and decided well this isn't the way to go for me and and so they turned back and so it's not only the detransitioners that get to that point, right? It's some, a lot of us who transitioned and, and are even happy with our transition do get to that point as well of realizing, okay, well, this narrative isn't going to serve me anymore, right? I, I need to face reality about this. Um, and as a clinician, you know, I mean, I'm not working with trans youth anymore, but if I was, I would want to be able to tell them, look, like, this is the kind of dysphoria you have. Because most of the kids that are coming to clinics are same-sex attracted girls. The vast majority. Like, I'd say in the, like, something like 85% of the ones and I And that has shot up, like, orders of magnitude over the last five years or something. Yeah, it has. Yeah, especially, and then especially over the last 10 years. Yeah, okay. Um... I would want to be able to tell them, well, this is this is the kind of dysphoria that you have. You know, you're you're same-sex attracted. You're female. These are the different kinds of gender dysphoria, um, so that they can start to make sense of their experience. They can still choose to transition if that offers them relief. But I want them to understand what is it you're actually getting relief from, and and what are what are your options? Like, do you want to try to 
you know, knowing knowing that lots of gay and lesbian people experience this, and and a lots develop a gay and lesbian identity that incorporates those feelings into it, and and they're happily able to do that. Is that an option for you? Like, have you considered that option? Like, without correct, accurate information about the condition they have, they're not really being given options, and they're not being given tools to make sense of their experience. So that's the de- that's the harm that's mm-hmm. being done to these young people who are the majority of people coming to clinics. In order to spare the handful of people with AGP the embarrassment or humiliation or whatever of their condition, but but there are people like Debbie Hayton who have stepped forward saying, look, I've got this condition. Like, It's not that I'm trying to shame those with AGP, but we need honesty about, about these different kinds of gender dysphoria mm-hmm. so that people... Because I do think, you know, I have heard um, interviews with, with certain um, people with AGP who said it was helpful for them to understand what it is they have so that they can make sense of that, too. So it's it's not that... It's not an it's easy not condition, that, and it's, it's difficult not. to even find uh, males who are willing to, to speak about that directly, because it's bound up in, uh, well, a lot of sexual mores in our society, but also it seems like a very excruciating sexual orientation um, that's very confusing. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I can understand the desire to completely contain that in this concept of gen- gender identity or this is just my natural thing and completely deny certain aspects of that but that males are trying to control uh females understanding of their own issue which is separate because mm-hmm. biological sex is actually motivating a lot of this stuff and the exactly. development so if, if you know roughly 85 percent of the of the kids that we're seeing are are biological females probably with the homosexual subtype of gender dysphoria, that means like 85% of these kids were not serving properly, right? And how to, that that just, it doesn't sit right with me. And then we're really not, I think we're, I really don't think as a clinician that we're really doing justice to those with AGP either, because we're not adequately supporting them to make sense of their experience. And, and so there is so much fragility. It, it can't, it can't be easy for them to kind of live knowing that they're living this kind of lie to to hide the fact that they have AGP and it, like that can't be a, that can't be a very comfortable existence for them either. Um, so I would want as a clinician to be able to support these kids who are experiencing this and they're confused about it. I really support them in a, you know in a respectful and 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 compassionate and responsible evidence based evidence based way, yeah. way. And, and they. You know, again, it's not about saying, well, no, you can't transition. It's about let's address the reality of this, too, because your mental health also matters. Hmm. Um, But the whole conversation is just getting is getting shut down and and buried and and they want to control that that narrative and um, and resort to, you know, doxing and um, authoritarian tactics. Yeah. And then. Furthermore, implementing their will into law so that everybody has to obey uh, whether or not they are uh, associated with the trans community whatsoever. And that's what I want, you know, all these kids that are trying to transition right now, that's what I want them to understand is that we basically as clinicians have to lie to them and, and that that is now becoming law, that that we can't talk to them about what kind of gender dysphoria they have and we can't offer them anything other than medicalization for it by law that's what that's that's what these people are doing in order to hide what they have 
they're trying to trick everybody into thinking that we all have the same thing that they do and that somehow having a conversation about it is bad and should be illegal. And we're preventing 85% of these kids that are seeking help. We're preventing them from having knowledge about themselves and giving them options about what kind of treatment would they like to try for their own gender dysphoria. I, there's other ethical questions, too. I saw a report done by a marketing research uh, company that the number – I'll put it on the screen, but the numbers, I believe, from memory is it, in 2015 or so, the sexual reassignment surgery market was at $350 million, and it's projected to be $1.25 billion in a few years now, uh, just following the trends. And one of the things that this market company said is a challenge for the market is, is regret. Uh, which you can read all different ways, but um, if the people who are transitioning and then regretting that and detransitioning are standing in the way of people's bottom line, uh, there's a way to look at it that there's some deep ethical questions about the monetary um, influence of the medical uh, field in uh, setting up people for uh, lifelong medical reliance. Mm-hmm. And even if they do transition, they're still going to have lifelong medical uh, reliance in certain cases, especially if they have their gonads removed. Sure. You know, and those that are only concerned about their bottom line, well, listen to what I have to say about this, right? Because what I'm saying is let's prevent some of that regret by actually, you know, figuring out who benefits the most from this treatment. Because they need to look ahead that if we're getting more and more and more and more regret, How's that going to affect their bottom line 10 years from now? Because no, Not to mention the lawsuits, uh, perhaps. Yeah, the, the, the lawsuits, people are more and more people. I mean, detransitioners are starting to organize. They're starting to get their stories out there. We get more and more and more and more of them. How's that going to affect their bottom line or mm-hmm. the safety of, of the, all trans people? Right or the or the or the or or the ability for some people who really would benefit from these treatments to access that treatment down the road. Yeah, and so not to mention to the resentment of a large part of the population who are losing their children or their grandchildren potentially. I mean, the, the public relations nightmare could be very tremendous and negatively impact uh, the trans community and even the LGB community. Everything under the rainbow is potentially at risk if people aren't um, if this entire issue isn't approached consistently with care and respect um, and, you know, evidence-based and, and all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed. And if those aren't allowed to be done because of activists uh, in the name of uh, preventing harm, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's very dangerous stuff that's being played with uh, by these activists such as Morgane. Yeah, it's a it's a very dangerous situation, and and I think a lot of people see it, but are just we all know what their tactics are, and um, nobody wants to be a target for that. I mean, I don't either, but mm-hmm. um, I was just so disturbed, you know, sitting in a room with these kids with dysphoria, you know, who are can't, who come to us for help, and it doesn't sit right with me that I can't be honest with them and I can't offer them options. And, and I know that, you know, 
how many of us, like I said, we we bottom out at some point, and and where's where's the support when that happens? We're not even allowed to talk about that. So, hmm. so going forward, what um, what needs to happen? What are you? What's your game plan, and what would you like to see happen? Well, um, what's happening now is is a rallying of support of of trans men um, who who have seen this play out for, for decades. And, um, you know, it, it, it started off, um, within our community of certain people, you know, bullying the rest of us, telling us, you know, shut up and, and you're not allowed that opinion. And, and now, I mean, that those people have now risen to the top and, um, and have risen to these positions of, of influence at, you know, national and international level, and um, and, and so t- trans men are are rallying together to to say no. Like mm. our our voices and our experiences matter. Like we we should have agency in this as well, and we should have healthcare options. And um, and it, the it needs to be a conversation rather than resorting to these abuse tactics. So I'm hoping you know with power in numbers and um, engaging communities, you know, all around the world and, and getting enough support behind us that people will start to start to listen and it'll start to change that, that narrative. And but how then can people in the meantime, pardon me, we're going to take abuse in the meantime, but yeah. How can people support you then? Reach out to us, um, you know, either uh, through my organization, Gender Dysphoria Alliance Canada, or th- um, through Scott Nugent at Trey's, Trey Voices. Reach out to us, and um, we can figure out how to how to engage people in this. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. I want to keep this short so more people will uh, not avoid it for being too long. <laughs> <laughs> so um thank you it. for coming on and uh thank you for your work and and thank you for standing up for uh being a respectful just part of the community and trying to under trying to get more people to understand the unique um life that trans men have that's distinct from uh other forms of trans trans uh, identity especially and including uh, the activists who control or try to control the narrative. So it's uh, it's great that you're out there, and I know you're doing a lot of uh, good work, even just being a role model. So I just want to commend you on that. Well, thank you. I appreciate the ha- ha- you having me on again, so I can explain what's happening. And it's great to have you uh, as an ally. <laughs>